Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Kid Kong at the Movies. I am your host, the one and only Kid Kong. Now listen here. Back in December, I did Bluthmas, where I was covering just the works of Don Bluth. I didn't go about them the way I normally do my episodes, because I wanted it to be a special kind of themed month. I underestimated the holidays, and I underestimated everything that was going to go into doing them in order to get said episodes off. As such, I was unable to do the final episode of Bluthmas I wanted to do. But, as I promised you, I'm getting to it now. I'm going to try and record a couple of episodes over the next, oh, I don't know, couple days to try and get one out every week so that I can resume my weekly schedule. But, Today, we are going to be starting with what should have been the finale for Bluthmas. We're going to be doing Anastasia from 1997. Now, if you listen to my Don Bluth-themed episodes, it'll come as no surprise that this was directed and written by Don Bluth and Goldsman. I mean, they they did all of them. All their movies. It's made on a budget of $53 million and pulled in at the box office $140 million. And it was released November 14th in New York but November 21st in the U.S. at large. Of course, Anastasia is loosely, and I do mean loosely, based on the legend of the Grand Duchess Anastasia. I'm not going to go too terribly into detail about the Romanovs, Bolsheviks, Anastasia. I'm, not, I'm, I'm just not. I'm not a historical podcast. I have my own personal knowledge of the legend as I've read it, my life. Uh, simply because I like history stuff. But it's not in any way organized in a mental form that would suit for the format of this show. So basically the idea was that the there was a lost member of the Romanov family that escaped the youngest daughter Anastasia who would eventually come back one day to return the Romanovs and return Russia to a positive state. This has over a good 80 years, this was thought to be a possibility that she survived and that there were people that could be related to her out there and whatnot. It was recently within like the last 10 or so years, they, they finally found what they believe to be conclusive evidence that Anastasia did not make it past childhood. So, the movie goes from being a uh, possible historical base to uh, historical fiction, essentially. It does, however, share its plot line with the 1956 Fox film of the same name, Anastasia. Yes, they had originally tried to make a movie out of this, which in turn was also based on a 1954 play. They decided to add Rasputin as a magical antagonist in this movie to differentiate it. Um, it is by far the most profitable Bluth film. Uh, it was the first film in the 20th Century Fox Animation Studios. And when I say most profitable Bluth film, I mean its next most profitable, American Tale, got beat by $55 million. Without question. And it was also very well received, not only winning Best Original Song, Journey to the Past, at the, 19, at the 1997, or 98 rather, Awesome. The 70th Academy Awards. Whichever year that was. 
It won the Best Original Song. It also won the Best Original Musical Score at the same Academy Awards. Casting-wise, the character of Anastasia, who goes by the uh, name Anya in the film because she is amnesiac, it was voiced by Meg Ryan. Now, Meg Ryan, of course, was in Top Gun, Inner Space. Uh, she's probably best known for Sleepless in Seattle, When Harry Met Sally, and You've Got Mail. But she was also in Joe vs. the Volcano. Uh, and as far as television goes, she got her beginning on the soap, soap opera, As the World Turns. But she also voiced Professor Blight in Captain Planet. The character Dimitri was voiced by John Cusack. John Cusack, of course, was in 16 Candles, Better Off Dead, Stand By Me, Say Anything, True Colors, Gross Point Blank, A Thin Red Line, 1408, Hot Tub Time Machine, Hot Tub Time Machine 2. But my personal favorite John Cusack film, Con Air. Side note, why their parents decided to name their son and daughter John and Joan, I will never understand. <laughs> The character of Vladimir was voiced by Kelsey Grammer, who is one of my favorite actors, period. I love that man. Film-wise, he hasn't been in a whole terrible lot of movies. I mean, probably the most notable would be Toy Story 2, where he voiced Stinky Pete. He was in X-Men The Last Stand, where he was Hank McCoy Beast, which to me is spot-freaking-on. And he was also in Transformers 4 Age of Extinction. A little bit of a hint there, but uh, I'm not going any further on that just yet. <laughs> Tele he's, I think probably his best-known work, however, was his television work. I mean, he was in the short-lived MTV animated series Gary the Rat. But that's not what you guys remember him from. You guys remember him as playing the character of Frasier Crane on Cheers, Frasier, and Wings, and also reprising the role several times throughout the 90s, aughts, and 2010s in little... Disney shorts or whatever the case may be. So he is the long, he is the person who has portrayed the character the longest running in television history at the moment. Uh, if you're a Simpsons fan like me, you know that he is Sideshow Bob. But he's also done a lot of Shakespearean works on stage. Othello, Macbeth, Hamlet, and it goes on and on. Gregory Rasputin was played by Christopher Lloyd. Now we've talked about Christopher Lloyd before on this show, but it's been quite some time because he was in the first episode that I did. Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Uh, in addition to that, he's been in Mr. Mom, uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Clue, Back to the Future. You can't mention him without Back to the Future. Page Master, The Addams Family. He voiced a character in the DuckTales movie. He was on Taxi on television for a long time. His animal sidekick of Bartok was voiced by Hank Azaria. Now, Hank Azaria has been in a fair few movies. Uh, he's been in Pretty Woman, The Birdcage, which I love that movie. The 1998 Godzilla movie made by Sony and TriStars. Uh, along came Polly. He played the young Patches O'Houlihan in Dodgeball. Uh, he was in Night at the Museum, and he also played Gargamel in the Smurfs. However, much like Kelsey Grammer, as a Simpsons fan, I recognize him most as the voice of Apu, Moe, Chief Wiggum, Carl, little little kid Lou. Like there, there, there's a lot. There's a lot of characters he has done on. The Simpsons that he is no longer voicing, and that is a topic for another day, because I have some opinions on that. The Dowager Empress was portrayed by Angela Lansbury. Now, Angela Lansbury has had a long career. She began acting in the 1940s, and she is the oldest surviving, earliest Academy Award nominee today. Um, most people are going to recognize her from the long-running series Murder, She Wrote. 
Character of Sophie was played by Bernadette Peters. Now, Bernadette Peters was extremely active on Broadway. Film-wise, she was in the original Longest Yard. Uh, she was in The Jerk. She was in the 1982 Annie. And most recently, she had a little cameo appearance in Tick, Tick, Boom, the Netflix movie about Jonathan Larson's life and writing Super Superbia. Now, that movie was astounding. I... It... Encanto came out back in December, and it was everything everybody was watching, including myself and my family. My daughter loves it. Then I watched Tick, Tick, Boom, and now I have all those songs stuck in my head. Jonathan Larson, of course, wrote Rent, among other things. So, yeah. Young Anastasia was voiced by Kirsten Dunst. We talked about her very recently when we did Spider-Man 3. Uh, and the great Frank Welker voiced the dog and many other animals in this movie like if you are watching an animated film i believe myself and cal the kaiju guy have talked about this on a previous episode if you're watching an animated movie and you hear an animal or a dog barking odds are it's frank welker they also had an ensemble of actors in this film including jk simmons just for little bit parts background roles etc etc development of this movie began all the way back in 1994 Bluth and Goldman signed a long-term deal with 20th Century Fox, and the studio put more than $100 million into constructing an animation studio in Arizona. The reason they chose Arizona is they had certain financial incentives to do so. Uh, they gave them over 300 staff members for both art artists and technicians. Roughly a third of them had already worked with Bluth and Goldman in their studio in Dublin, Ireland. The studio wanted them to animate one of 12 of their existing properties, and they were heavily suggesting both The King and I and My Fair Lady. Don Bluth and Goldman were a little hesitant to do that because they felt that to try and improve on Audrey Hepburn, to say nothing of the composers of those films, would be a very tall task and tall order to do so. They decided, upon looking through the various things they had, they were going to go ahead and go with Anastasia. And they also adapted certain elements from Pygmalion for that. Namely, you know, taking a commoner and trying to pass her off as someone who is a more famous uh, lookalike. Probably the best known example of that outside of Pygmalion is going to be the Prince of the Pauper. Uh, and they've also adapted this in other things like the Man in the Iron Mask and things like that. In order to try and get development for this film and to research and things they needed to do, Bluth and Goldman used former CIA agents stationed in Russia for research. <laughs> the first script that was presented to them was very adult, based in reality, very heavily on the politics, and had no magic or comedy involved in that. You can imagine for an animated film for kids, which was predominantly Don Blue's background, this was probably not for the best. They decided that, you know, by 95, actual history of the Romanov dynasty and Anastasia herself, it's probably too dark to be adapted into this kind of a thing. And they would rework the script with several other writers who did minor rewrites here and there, including Carrie Fisher, yes, Princess Leia, in order to adapt it into a much more lighthearted, animated musical rom-com specifically some of the scenes that and now i should point out that carrie fisher did go uncredited on her rewrites that she did for the longest time uh mainly when anastasia anya is leaving the orphanage 
Don Bluth decided against using Lenin and the Bolsheviks as the villains. Again, because that was, he felt too political, too realistic, too dark, really, to try and adapt that. And decided that, you know, I want to go with Grigory Rasputin. Now, Rasputin was killed several weeks before the Romanovs were assassinated. And Rasputin is largely credited nowadays with spearheading a lot of public unrest with the Romanovs in what led to them being killed. With the various ways that he was killed, and a lot of these are, a lot of these is rumor, conjecture, it made him a more attractive prospect as a villain, especially with how horrible he was. I mean, just some of the ways that it's rumored that he was killed, including being poisoned, shot, stabbed, mutilated, sections of body cut off, and, and really the only thing that to this day they found is that they, when he was shot, and there's no way to know exactly who did it. Uh, he made a better villain choice than to try and adapt Lenin or anything else. And, and I agree with that. You know, historically speaking, the movie is far from accurate, but entertainment-wise, it does it does a very good job. They decided that he needed to have a little talking animal sidekick to make sure that children knew it's okay to laugh every now and then. Like, yes, he is meant to be scary, but they don't want him to be as scary as he is coming off. Over the course of developing this animal sidekick, they knew they wanted to use a bat. He eventually became an albino bat, just along with the process. When presenting all this information to the composers who were supposed to be doing the music, they were dismayed about this. They're like, look, you are issuing historical accuracy for Fantastical, which is fine. We get that. But you are going so heavy-handed on trying to be funny and cute and kid-friendly that you really need to understand that what you're essentially making is going to be Anastasia pretty much in name only. So, with that all being said, casting was a relatively quick process. Uh, Meg Ryan was the first and only choice for Anastasia as far as Don Bluth was concerned. She was unsure about that. In order to get her to understand that why they wanted to use her, they spent about $1 million at their studio animating one of her scenes from Sleepless in Seattle, to show her a little reel of what it could look like if they used her. She was absolutely blown away by the finished product and accepted quickly. Angela Lansbury signed on immediately because, I mean, she knew that the character of the Dowager Empress, the regality of that character, plus the unexpected playfulness in her later, she, she reveled in the opportunity to do something like that. Broadway singer Liz Calloway, who has had a very distinguished career on Broadway, had recorded some demos to, and sent them in to be set, hoping that, you know, I might get some background vocals and might get some experience on that. However, they liked her singing so well that she got the main singing voice for Anastasia. John Cusack was cast, and, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, I'll do it. Just understand, I cannot sing. So they had to use someone else to sing for him. Now... Originally, Peter O'Toole was considered for the part of Grigory Rasputin. However, the sheer popularity of Back to the Future, coupled with Bluth enjoying his role as Doom in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, led Christopher Lloyd to getting the part. Bartok was specifically written with Woody Allen in mind. However... Certain revelations about Woody Allen's personal life, including his relationship with his now ex-wife's young child, 
and that's another conversation for another day, led to them deciding, you know, scupper that. We're not doing that. Hank Azaria went in, and within tw 10 minutes of his audition, he had won the role. Like a lot of animated films, they would do combinations of filming, I say filming, recording their lines solo, as well as recording them in groups at times. They wanted to record Anastasia's lines by herself the entire time to try and give the character that voiced weight of having been alone for so long. This was kind of difficult. Um, Don Bluth would read the lines to her from everybody else, and then she would record hers. But they, they just couldn't really quite get it, especially with the chemistry that she's supposed to have with Dimitri. Because of that, they brought in John Cusack to record his lines with her. This helped tremendously. And the score for the film was conducted and composed by David McNewman. David Newman's father did the score and music for the 1956 original film. They spent over $50 million marketing this film. You know, uh, Blue Studios, by this point in time, they had done so many animated films that they had a really set pattern down for how they did it. So there's not a whole lot of note on the production of it. Um, far as I can tell, it was simple animation, voice recording, matching up. Like, they, they, there was no real, this was probably the smoothest he had had in the studio in his career. You know, but the marketing, my God, the marketing. And I remember this marketing because I was a kid when this movie came out. You could not go anywhere. They spent $50 million on this. You, you could absolutely tell. They had it at Burger King with toys and different signage. You know, Hershey's had candy bars that were themed for Anastasia. They were featured heavily in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. There were gas stations that had bar talk on Big Gulp cups, for God's sakes. Even the 1997 U.S. Figure Skating Championships heavily advertised this movie. It was released November 21st of 1997. It drew an almost unanimously positive praise, even in Russia. Now, I think the reason why it had so much success in Russia was because even though it was based on their historical characters, they had changed so much that it was advertised as a fantasy film in Russia. That probably helped its very positive reception over there. Really, truthfully, the only bad uh, press that I could find of it, historians disliked it. Uh, one historian said that to call that Anastasia and to compare that to the actual real-life events would be like if you wrote an Anne Frank movie and at the end of the movie she moves to Florida and marries a crocodile tamer. I wouldn't necessarily go that far, but all right. Now, the other complaint that I do kind of agree with Russian Orthodox Christians did not care for the portrayal of the Dowager Empress. They felt that you kind of took a very Western approach with that character, which is not really not that. And you know what? I understand that. That's completely that's that that's a that's a good complaint. To have. I get that. I do that one. When you are messing with historical figures, you always have to assume that there are going to be some that have problems with it. They did a really good job of making this such a fantastical film that they really didn't have to worry about it being... Like, they didn't even have to say based on the true story. Like, they, they never did. It, they did a good job is what I'm trying to get across. <laughs> it debuted at number two at the box office behind Mortal Kombat Annihilation. I will explain why it debuted at number two 
in a moment. This was the first financially successful film for Don Bluth since All Dogs Go to Heaven. To say that this movie had, you know, some spin-off merchandise made, we had Anastasia on Ice. We had a animated sequel, Bar Talk the Magnificent, which was terrible. We've had multiple new Broadway plays and off-Broadway plays that have come out that are both based on the film by also taking inspiration from the 1954 stage play as well. It was a big deal. And to this day, it has a very good score on Rotten Tomatoes. Many people, myself included, have shown it to their kids. Uh, Once Upon a December is one of my daughter's favorite songs. It, 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 my, my Spotify wrapped at the end of the year had one song on it that was mine. The other four were all my daughter's songs. If you're interested in knowing, they were a song from Frozen. They were Sunflower from Into the Spider-Verse, which is my daughter's favorite song. Uh, Once Upon a December. And there's one song on there that probably was on there from the earlier part of the year, so I'm not going to worry about that. The only song that was mine was number five, and it was Return of the Mac. So, thank you, child, for co-opting my Spotify. The reason this is important to note is that I am a driver by trade, and I listen to music all day while I'm driving. She still took all the top spots from me. <laughs> but... I hate to have gotten off on that little sidetrack, so I'm going to bring this back down. The reason why this film debuted at number two at the box office, Walt Disney. 20th Century Fox scheduled this movie for release November 21st of 97 for its wide release. Disney planned a re-release of Little Mermaid for one week prior. Disney had a habit at the time of re-releasing their animated movies in theaters for limited runs every seven to eight years after the movie came out. They would do so in order to advertise that they were making a sequel to the movie or if they were going to be releasing the video from the vault, as it were, whatever the case may be. They also released Flubber the following weekend, and then shortly thereafter, George the Jungle and Hercules. Disney also refused to advertise for Anastasia and banned their corporate sponsors, including ABC from airing clips of the movie. Disney, to this day, denies trying to start a studio rivalry or anything of that sort with Don Bluth. Pardon my language here, but that is bullshitting. That is a joke from Madagascar 3. I'm sorry, I couldn't help it. Uh, this was a deliberate, 100% deliberate, attempt to bully or kick sand, otherwise prevent... Anastasia from actually really realizing its full theatrical potential. And it's not the only time they have done that. They have planned the release of other movies. Beauty and the Beast made them have to move Rock-A-Doodle. Like, this is not anything new. They had they held a grudge against Don Bluth for years because the Golden Age of Don Bluth's movies, while they may not have been as financially successful as the Disney movies that they were coming out contemporarily, they were better films. And they have never been able to get over that. They eventually would, of course, go on to buy 20th Century Fox in 2020, which is why we have The Simpsons on Disney+. And eventually, Anastasia herself was put on Disney. There are some people who are like, well, I guess this makes Anastasia a Disney princess. Technically, it does not. So, look, I loved this movie as a kid. I saw it in theaters with my grandmother and my older brother. 
uh, as an adult, I still enjoy the film. As I said earlier, this movie took the idea of what if Anastasia was still alive, which a lot of people at the time and for several years afterwards clung to. It has since been pretty unanimously agreed that Anastasia did not make it past childhood. She, she just didn't. It's unfortunate. Empires rise and empires fall. You know? This happens to be a little bit more common for places like Russia, but it, it is what it is. So, this is the official end of my Bluthmas movies that I did for this year. I'm sorry that it took me until early February to get it out. Again, I underestimated the holidays, as well as underestimating when my inventory would start with my job. So, it... I am so sorry for that. I do think that you guys got a little bit more out of Anastasia that you would have gotten with Bluthmas. This probably would have only been about a 15-minute episode otherwise. So, I hope you enjoyed it. Again, I'm going to try and record a couple of episodes over the next few days to try and ensure that I get some weekly releases during this. Simply because I don't like going two weeks without doing it. You know, normally I enjoy taking all my notes down, reading, researching, writing. I enjoy that whole process. When I take a week off, it really does feel like I'm struggling to get back into it. And I don't like doing that. So I'm going to probably over the course of today, tomorrow, take notes for the next two episodes that are going to drop on the following Sundays. So as of the airing of this episode, it should be on February 6th. The next episode, if I'm able to do this exactly how I want to, the next episode will drop on the 13th, the following will drop on the 20th, and then my birthday episode will drop the day before. I'm going to go ahead and lay those out for you. Anastasia will drop on the 6th. This is the one we are recording right now. The one that will debut on the 13th will be the 2008 Transformers movie, which to me, next to Age of Extinction, is probably the only good Transformers movies out of the bunch. Bumblebee is a separate issue and separate continuity as far as I am concerned. The 20th. Now, this is going to be interesting because I have said on record beforehand that I don't really plan on covering the MCU. This is true. I do really don't. I will eventually do an episode where I discuss the differences between the Spider-Men, and I will have guests on for that one. But I am going to do the first Iron Man movie on the 20th. I'm looking forward to that one because that's a character that I was attached to as a kid that I used to read that was nowhere near as popular as the movies will lead you to believe he has always been. He's just not. So that'll be on the 20th. The birthday episode, I will be joined by Cal the Kaiju Guy and Caleb from Caleb's Kung Fu Cinema. We're going to be discussing The Crow. So, there you have it. You have my February laid out. Once again, I apologize for Anastasia taking this long to get out. The next couple episodes will be a little bit longer and hopefully it'll be a little bit better. I am Kid Kong. I will see you at the movies.